we just sang, summer and winter, and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness and love. Do you know, do you know why we sing that? You know why we can sing that this morning? Because in Genesis 8, verse 22, God said, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. We can sing what we just sang because our God is faithful. He is the God who keeps his word. He is the promise maker and the promise keeper. And we can rest in him and we can trust in him this morning. We sing of his great faithfulness today. And we celebrate that. And we find great hope in that today. I want to share with you briefly one of the most embarrassing moments of my life, but I guess it wasn't too embarrassing because I was by myself, but it was a moment in which I wish I'd had a camera because I probably would be a very wealthy man at this time, but it was a, a day in which I was training for a, um, a race. I don't remember what race I was training for, but it was a longer race. I had some long runs that I had to do, and it was in the winter, and it got really icy, and so I'll run in about anything, but I won't run in ice because you can't run in ice. You fall, and so I needed somewhere to run because I'm I'm... I'm OCD about this. Like, if I have a plan and I have something I need to do for a workout, then I have to do it, or it just drives me crazy. And so I had a long run. I think it was like a 12-mile run that I had to do, and I had to find somewhere to do it. And so I called my good friends, the Carringtons. Debbie, sitting back there. She's a good place for you to be sitting right now, Debbie. Um, back there hiding. I called the Carringtons. They had a treadmill. You guys know the function of a treadmill? What does a treadmill do? Not a lot, right? It just spins. It spins unending, right? It just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning, and you keep running and running and running, right? That's the whole purpose of a treadmill. Well, I got down there and went, and their treadmill uh, was in Jordan's room, and because it was in Jordan's room, it was there right in front of a wall, and so I started running. I'd do my 12-mile run, and I was running and running and running, and I got to, I think I was at mile 10 and a half or 11. I was feeling great. I mean, just feeling good you know, and just trucking on along, and I think I even was feeling good enough. I increased the speed a little bit, and I'm just running, you know, confident, fun, about to finish, and out of nowhere, no warning, no beep, nothing, the treadmill just stopped. It did not slow down. It didn't start smoking. It stopped, and so you have to imagine I'm running not super fast, but I'm running pretty fast and going, and if you can imagine that you're running and that thing just stops, you know what happens when that happens? You don't. And so I literally, I'm like this, straight into the treadmill, the wall, I've got bruises, my hamstrings are all of a sudden convulsing because I was trying to stop myself that quick, and I just pummeled right into the, the wall, Debbie. It's probably dense in your wall still. It was a bad moment. A moment in which all I needed that treadmill to do was to be consistent. All I needed that treadmill to do was to keep doing what it always did, just keep moving. And it didn't. 
It was not faithful. Listen, we, we want that from people. We want consistency. We want consistency from the people we're around. We want consistency from our vehicles. We want consistency from treadmills. We want to know that we can depend on things and depend on people in our lives, don't we? But the reality is, just like I got burnt by that treadmill, we get burnt by people. We, we have people who have disappointed us. We have people who betray us. We have truth that has been twisted. We have lies that have been told. We've all had promises made to us that have not been kept. They've been broken and abused. We, we know what this is like, don't we? And we long for consistency. We long for a, a one who is faithful. And so we talk about the faithfulness of God this morning. We think about that in the sending of Christ. I think it's something that, that should resound with us. It's something that, that we should be able to, to come around and say, we long to worship in the sing of his great faithfulness because there is nothing else in our life that is ultimately and truly faithful. Everyone in your life will disappoint you. I will disappoint you. Your parents will disappoint you. Your spouse will disappoint you. Your friends will disappoint you. Your ball team will disappoint you. Everyone will disappoint you. God will not disappoint you. God is faithful. He is true. And so we turn this morning to Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. We're going to look at a picture of God's faithfulness in the sending of Jesus, his son. So we'll look at the birth of Christ. Is this foretold to Mary by the angel Gabriel? And we'll kind of look at the big picture, the big message, but we're also going to take a minute to zoom in and, and look at some details of the passage that are important for us this morning as well. So let's read Luke 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. 
And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I want to take a minute before we look at the display of God's faithfulness. I want us to just zoom in on this passage and look at some of the truths and, and the key points of this passage that we need to see today that we shouldn't gloss over. You know, the passage starts, and I think it's a good reminder, he starts in verse 26, he says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, this is something we, we just need to remember. We, we see here a picture that, that Luke is writing aware of his audience. He's writing aware that the people who read it may not know where Nazareth is, from, where Nazareth, Nazareth is located. It would be like if I'm sitting here and I'm talking to you and I say, hey, listen, uh, you just need to go to Eubank. You all know where Eubank is, right? I don't need to explain where Eubank is. Now, if I'm talking to my family in Georgia, I'll say, you know, we, we went up to Eubank or I just have to go to Eubank to get this or do that. And Eubank is located a little north of Somerset, about 10 minutes. Oh, okay. And they know. Well, Luke is doing the same thing here. He he says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Instead of just saying, hey, he was sent to Nazareth. Because he understands that his people that he's writing to, the purpose of this gospel that he's writing, is for, for people who may not know, they may not be familiar with the area. And, and this is simply a reminder. The reason I point this out is this is that we need to understand that the gospel writers wrote their gospels for a reason, for a purpose, to a specific audience. And you see that variation in each of the gospels. Do You see the variation where they're giving testimony of Christ, but each one has some nuances, has some, has some unique um, focuses that they want to bring out because of the audience that they're writing to. The gospels do not contradict one another. The gospels are written for a purpose by these men to give testimony to our Lord. And so we just need to keep that in mind. The other thing I want us to look at this morning is this. There's, there's two kind of key characters in this passage that we learn about. One is absolutely worthy of worship. One is not. One is worthy of great respect, but not worship. One is worthy of all respect, all awe, and all worship. So I want us to look at these. The first character is Mary. I want us to look at what does the passage tell us about Mary. Here's four things that we learn about Mary. The, the first thing is in verse 27. We learn that Mary was a virgin, betrothed or engaged to be married. She is, verse 27, a, a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph. A simple fact that we learn about Mary, that she was indeed a virgin. In verse 28, what do we learn about Mary? That she was highly favored. It says, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with, with you. She was favored by God. We'll talk more about that in a moment. This, the next thing that we learn about Mary in verses 31 and verse 35 is that she would do what? She would conceive and give birth to Jesus, the Son of God. 
There's a significant truth about Mary and who she is. And then fourth, we learn in verse 38 that Mary demonstrated great faith and submission to God's plan for her life. What a a beautiful picture of one who hears something amazing. Here's something astounding. Here's something that she cannot possibly wrap her mind around. That she, a virgin, would conceive and bear the Son of God. How, how does this even work? <laughs> how, how does it even work that, that her cousin is pregnant as well? That she had been barren in her old age and now she is with child. The angel says, for with God all things are possible. And so Mary steps back and says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What a picture of submission. What a picture of faith in God's plan for her life. Mary is a beautiful example. And I think Mary is one that that we should have respect for that we can learn from. But Mary is not the one in this passage that we worship. Mary is not the one that we should venerate. And our friends in the Roman Catholic Church find reason to venerate Mary in this passage. They, they find this based on a translation of the word in your Bible in verse 28, where your Bible reads, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. It's it's a Greek word that can be translated favored one or highly favored. The the Roman Catholic Church bases its theology of Mary or its Mariology, its beliefs about Mary, its doctrines of Mary on a a translation of the Latin Vulgate. It's, It's translation in Latin. It's not the Greek. And in that translation, it is written, hell full of grace, ave gratia plena. It's an unfortunate translation, and no doctrine should be based on this. Because the New Testament is not written in Latin. The New Testament is written in Greek. And so the Latin Vulgate is a translation of the Greek into Latin, and you don't form a doctrine based on that. What the Catholics would read here is something you've heard before, right? Hail Mary, full of grace. Full of grace. Here's the thing, that's not what the text says in the Greek here. Full of grace, that terminology is used only twice in the New Testament. It's used in John 1.14, describing Jesus as the one full of grace and truth. It's used in Acts 6.8, describing Stephen as one who is full of grace. It does not describe Mary. This simply does not lead us to the conclusion that Mary is full of grace See, the, 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 the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic doctrine, treats Mary as though she were holy, one to be prayed to, and one who can give out or dispense grace. She is one who is full of grace and can give grace. And that is not what our text is teaching us. It is not what the testimony about Mary is saying. She was indeed favored. It says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But when it says favored, it's talking about being highly favored. The, the root word here is the word charis. You are familiar with that word, right? The charis offering. It is the word for grace. It is the root word here. To be favored. To be one who has grace poured out upon you. 
It is one who here is described as the recipient of God's divine favor, not the dispenser of God's divine favor. She has received favor. She has received grace. She has found favor from God. She did not earn favor from God. It does not speak to Mary's piety as much as it does of God's gracious kindness set upon Mary. She is the favored one because God has dispensed his grace and showered his grace upon her. So contrary to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church, Mary was not born sinless. Mary did not remain a virgin. And she did not remain sinless for the rest of her life. Scripture does not testify to these things. That is the tradition of the Roman Catholic Church. It is based on the Latin translation and the words of Pope Pius IX from 1854. That is not the testimony of Scripture. We do indeed appreciate and respect Mary as a woman of great faith a faithful servant of the Lord. I would imagine that she indeed walked with the Lord. And we see her faithfulness. But she is not one that we worship. And this passage does not lead us to worship her. The one that the passage leads us to worship is Jesus. The one that the passage exalts is Jesus. Let's look at what the passage tells us about Christ. The, the first thing we learn about Jesus in verse 31 through 35 is that Jesus would be born of a virgin. We talked about Mary being a virgin, and so we here see also that Jesus would indeed be born of a virgin. When it says that Mary was betrothed, this meant that she was pledged to be married. She was pledged to Joseph. Marriage at this time had, had two significant stages, and this first stage is a stage of, of betrothal. It was a time in which they had entered into a legally binding commitment to one another. They were not living with one another. They were not having physical relations with one another, but they were committed to one another to get married. In verse 27, we see that Mary is described as a virgin. In verse 34, she describes herself as a virgin. This is something we see throughout the text. If you look in Matthew 1.18, we read that Mary was found to be with child before they came together in reference to she and Joseph. In verse 125 of Matthew, Joseph says, or it says that Joseph knew her not until she had given birth to a son. That would indicate, A, that they did not have any physical relations prior to the birth of Christ, but until they certainly did afterwards. We would know that from other testimony as well. So the first thing we learn is that Jesus would be born of a virgin, verse 31 and 35. The second thing we learn about Christ is that because of this, Jesus is holy. Look at, look at in verse 35. We, we learn and we've heard. She says, I am a virgin. In verse 35, the angel answers her and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore... What? Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. Holy, the Son of God. He will be called holy. Why? Because he did not have the seed of Adam. 
He did not have the inherited sin nature of Adam. Jesus in the flesh was born sinless. He is holy. Romans 5.12, we read that just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. That does not apply to Christ. Because he was not inheriting the sin nature of Adam. You see, in Scripture, we read this of man. In Psalm 14, 3, we read that all have turned aside. There is none who does good, not even one. But of Jesus, we read in Hebrews 4, 15, he was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. We read of ourselves in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we read of Jesus in 1 Peter 2, 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. We read of ourselves in Psalm 143, 2, no one living is righteous before God. But we read of Christ in 1 John 3, 5, that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And then we have the good news of 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are sinful he was not. We are unholy. He is holy. We are unrighteous. He is righteous. The virgin birth is a critical truth to our Christology. It's a critical truth because not only is the virgin birth an actual event, but it also enables us to understand that Jesus was indeed holy and without sin. He did not inherit the sin nature of Adam. The third thing we learn about Jesus is that in verse 32, Jesus will be great. He will be great. The greatness of God in Scripture has no bounds. It's, it's not qualified. Listen to how true greatness is attributed to God alone in the Old Testament. In Psalm 95.3, it says, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Psalm 96.4 says, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Then Psalm 145.3, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. It's beyond anything we can comprehend. And now the coming of Christ, the angel Gabriel, what does he say? He says, You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. No qualification. Just simply, he will be great. Oh, he, he's going to be the great prophet who speaks a better word than Moses. He's going to be the great priest after the order of Melchizedek, whose reign does not end, who intercedes for us for all eternity, who is our great mediator. He will be the great king in the lineage of David, the king who reigns sovereignly, the king who reigns Forever, the king who reigns with no stumbling and no sin. The great king, the great prophet, the great priest. He will be great. He will be great. The fourth thing we learn about Jesus in verse 32 and verse 35 is that Jesus is the son of God. He's the son of God. We learn and we see the deity of Christ here. We understand that Jesus is God incarnate. He is the eternally existent Word made flesh from John 1.14. He is God. In Galatians 4.4 4, that we meditated on, God sent forth 
his son. We read the same thing. John 3, 16, God did what? He sent his only begotten son. We see the deity of Christ. Christ was no mere man. He was God in the flesh. God in the flesh. He was truly God. He was truly man. He was the God-man. He was not partially man, partially God. It wasn't a 80-20, 50-60. Well, that wouldn't add up. 50-50 split, 40-60. I'm not a math teacher. Praise the Lord. No, he was truly God, truly man, fully God, fully man. And we see here a declaration of Jesus' deity. He was the Son of God. We also learn, fifth, in verses 32 and 33, that Jesus is the Davidic Messiah. Listen to 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 16. You can jot that reference down and read it later, but Nathan the prophet spoke these words. He says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, you or who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Now listen. Word of the Lord. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God is speaking to David through Nathan the prophet and saying, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. I will continue your lineage. I will raise up one after you. And your kingdom will always endure. It will always endure. Your throne will, sh- will be established forever. In Jeremiah 23, 5-6, we read this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal ri- wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell securely. And his name by which we- he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. His reign, his rule will be forever. I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king. And here we find out that Jesus indeed is that king. He will be great and be called the son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus was the Messiah from the Davidic line. And then finally we learn, tied to that in verse 33, that Jesus is a king whose reign is eternal. His reign is eternal. There is no end to his reign. Jesus will not be voted out. He will not be the victim of a cosmic coup. He will not be removed from power. He will not stumble And render him ineffective for his position. He will not fall from authority. 
No, his reign is eternal. His dominion is forever. And so we worship the king who reigns today just as Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli and John Calvin and all the great reformers worshiped him as the king who reigns. Just as Augustine worshiped the one who reigned, just as Irenaeus and Polycarp, all the great saints of old, just as Lottie Moon, all worship the king who reigns. We worship the king who reigns. Just as when we are gone and standing before the throne worshiping the king who reigns. And our children and our grandchildren fill this place, lifting hands, bowing heads, will worship the king who reigns. His reign knows no end. His dominion is forever. So let's zoom back out. Those are details and truths that that we need to be aware of. Certainly more in there. But we need to understand this morning about, if you, if you would, Mariology versus Christology. But let's zoom back out for a minute. Let's think about the faithfulness of God that we see on display here. As we think about Christmas, we anticipate the coming of Christ, the faithfulness of God that we see. The big picture truth that I want us to have before us this morning is that God who was faithful to keep his word will always be faithful to keep his word. Do you hear that? I want you to hear that and to know that the God who was faithful to keep his word will always be faithful to keep his word. We need to know that this morning. In Luke 1, 26 to 38, we're reminded that he is faithful to keep his word. He is a promise-keeping God. We see three particular prophecies fulfilled. First, we see from Genesis 3, 15, a Savior would be sent. We read there that I, uh, God says, I will put enmity between your offspring and her offspring. He's speaking to Satan. I will put enmity between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He will strike a death blow. This is known as the, kind of the first announcement of the gospel, the first hope given by our God. That there would be one from the seed of the woman who would bruise the head, who would strike a death blow to Satan. And that one is Christ. We see in Isaiah 7.14 the prophecy that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Where we read that the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we see that in the coming of Christ here. He is born of a virgin as we talked about from what we learned from Mary and what we learned from Jesus in this passage. We see also the prophecy fulfilled that that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David. We read that in Isaiah 9, 7 that Pastor Ricky read. We heard of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. We heard the same thing from 2 Samuel chapter 7. That one would come from the lineage of King David. The Messiah would come. And to his reign there would be no end. And here we read the same exact thing that Christ has fulfilled that. The one who spoke these promises in the Old Testament fulfilled these promises in Matthew 1, 26-38. Three promises made by God, kept by God. The faithful God who kept His word will be faithful to keep His word. 
you need to know this morning that the God we worship, the God we serve, knows nothing of a promise made that he does not keep. You need to understand that and bank on that. Because you, just like me, live in a day in which faithfulness is rare. And we need to know, we need to be reminded of the fact that God is faithful this Christmas season. Everyone else around us may not be, but God is faithful. Here's what we need to know. We need to know that in Hebrews 6.18, we learn that it is impossible for God to lie. Faithfulness means that He is ever true. It is impossible for God to lie. We need to know that in Proverbs 35, that every word of God proves true. It proves true. You just wait. It proves true. It has and it will because He is faithful. We need to know that in Deuteronomy 32.4, that He is a God of faithfulness. A God of faithfulness is He, says Moses. In Numbers 23.19, we read, God is not a man that He should lie, or a son of man that He should change His mind. Has He said and will He not do it? Or has He spoken and will He not fulfill it? <laughs> we, we know we can count on God. Why? Because He is faithful he will do what he says he will do he has kept promises he will keep his promises we need to know deuteronomy 7 9 that it, that reads know therefore that the lord your god is god the faithful god who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments we need to know we need to remember psalm 91 4 that he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge why because his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. We need to remember Lamentations 3, to 23, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We sing of that this morning. We rejoice in that. We worship the God who is faithful. We need to know 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. It says, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. We need to know and understand and remember 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24 that says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it, the word of the Lord says. He will do it. Why? Because he's faithful. Why? Because everything that he says, he does. He is ever true. We worship the faithful God. And we need to remember, we need to rest in some street-level theology this morning. We need to remember that when people call God's word into question, we need to remember that it is impossible for God to lie. So you can question that word all you want to, but it's impossible for God to lie. When it seems that God's promises have not come to pass, and you wonder about it, then, then we must remember that every word of God proves true. Wait upon the Lord. When the depth of your sin tempts you to despair, you need to remember that God is faithful to keep His covenant with you. When people gossip about you, when they threaten you, when they seek to 
do you harm? You need to remember that God's faithfulness is your shield. There's nothing that man can do to harm you. You need to remember when you wake up tomorrow morning, you've fallen into sin yet again, or you wake up and it just seems that the joy of the Lord that you long for and that you want just isn't there. Or you wake up and the suffering of the ongoing agony of chronic pain continues to wreak havoc in your body. You must remember that God is faithful to provide new mercies every morning. When you fear the attacks of Satan and you wonder, can I stand against this mighty foe? You need to remember that God is faithful to guard all who are His. Christian, when you fear that you have done something so bad, you've so disappointed your Lord, or you have not done all that you should do, and that little inkling of doubt comes in, and you fear that, what if I lose my salvation? (laughs) You remember that God is faithful, and He will hold you fast. Your salvation is guarded and kept secure. Unbeliever, when you finally realize that the world just constantly changes its definition of what brings hope, it's constantly changing what will bring you fulfillment, it's constantly changing what will satisfy or save you from You're suffering. You need to know that Jesus Christ is the faithful one who saves. You need to know that the word of God endures. You need to know that his truth stands. You need to know that every promise made by God will be kept by God. So unbeliever, you may be living in a day in which you don't know any of that. In a day in which you are just grasping at various truths, various messages, various hopes. And I'm here to tell you this morning that you will continue to grasp at those things. And in those moments in which you feel like you have gotten to a spot where things are good and things are going well, then the treadmill of life will halt and you will be sorely disappointed. God alone is faithful. God alone is the source of our hope and our salvation. And so unbeliever, I would call you to trust in Christ today. Put your faith in Christ.
today. He is faithful. Listen, the cares of this world are great. (laughs) The cares of the world are great. The messages of our day are many, and the pain of lies told and truths twisted and promises broken are very real. But we look forward to celebrating Christmas, the coming of our King, because we know He is faithful. And we gather this morning, we stand and we declare, great is His faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies we see. All we have needed, He has provided. Great is His faithfulness unto me. We worship the faithful God. Let's pray. Oh God, we exalt in you, we glorify you. God, not to us, oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, oh God. Thank you, God, that you are faithful, that you are not just the promise-making God, you are the promise-keeping God. And so, God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. God, I know how difficult it can be to stay mindful of that. I know how easy it can be to let the messages of the world, to let the disappointments of life, the inconsistencies of those around us, all of those things, God, it's so easy to let them creep in. And taint our, our picture of you, our understanding of you, the truth of who you are, our faith in you. So God, I pray that you would increase our faith today. God, lead us to, to just rest in your faithfulness. To rely on you. To look to you every morning in your mercy. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for your great faithfulness. We give you praise this day. It's in the name of Christ. Amen.